This morning we have a passage from John's Gospel that you most likely recognize from the days leading up to Easter. It's an excerpt from the buildup of the conflict between Pilate and Jesus just prior to Jesus' crucifixion, which begs the question, why has it been placed at this point in our liturgical calendar squarely outside of the time of year when we revisit Jesus' passion? Well, today is the final Sunday of our liturgical year, the equivalent of our New Year's Eve, Happy New Year, uh, if you will. And the authors of our liturgical cycle very intentionally end on a high note with texts that reference the kingship of Christ. So Christ's reign, both then and now, is to be our guiding framework. But today I'd like for us to look more specifically at one component of the particular kingship we find in Christ which is what Christ's kingship teaches us about power. What Christ's kingship teaches us about power. And very simply put, the kingship of Christ reveals the truth about power. The power we find in Jesus Christ is set over and against the power we encounter in our earthly context. If we zoom into the context in which Jesus and Pilate are operating, we get a close-up of what happens when we set earthly power against kingdom power. Even more specifically, we understand why Jesus' power was a threat to Pilate, who represented the dominant power of empire. As one theologian puts it, in Jesus... Pilate sees an opportunity to to humiliate his Jewish subjects, forcing them to crucify not only this alleged king, but also the very idea of Jewish kingship in imperial Rome. The inscription that is written above Jesus on the cross effectively says, Behold, this is what happens to your kings. Thus, Pilate mocks and terrorizes his subjects, pushing them to declare, we have no king but the emperor. So not only does Pilate disrupt the idea of a heavenly king, he corrupts the experience of the Jewish, that the Jewish people have of an earthly king. His exertion of power is absolutely magnificent. Yet we soon learn that Pilate's power pales in comparison to the power that Jesus displays. The force of Jesus' kingship lies not in the magnitude of power it exerts. Rather, the power of Jesus' kingship lies in the fact that it completely upends our expectations of power itself. Jesus shows that the most profound power is not that which is imposed from the top down, but that which is gathered. We've seen this laced throughout our readings in the Gospel of Mark this past year. One commentary puts it this way. This kingship is something new. Far from the model of contemptuous tyrant Pilate, Jesus' kingdom is not from this world. This is a kingdom of servanthood and neighborhood, of serving all and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And as we see in this week's passage, what Jesus had in mind 
in sharp contrast to Pilate, is a kingdom without a king. Not an empire, but rather a community of witnesses testifying with words and deeds to the truth of God's love. A kingdom without a king? Not an empire, but a community of witnesses. This is a different type of power altogether. This type of power, the power of community, makes itself known in many different ways. One example of this is the power that we come to know through a good leader, the type of leader who both accomplishes the task that is before them, but also brings us to a deeper, more compassionate understanding of ourselves and the world around us. There's currently one among us, in the fictional sense, who perfectly embodies this type of leadership, Ted Lasso. Now, if you haven't had the chance to encounter the series Ted Lasso, I implore you to find someone with an Apple TV subscription and endear yourself to them so that you might watch the series that has elicited a cult following. Now, in theory, it's the story of a Midwestern football coach who is hired by the owner of a failing British soccer club to avenge her ex-husband. When he is hired, Ted has never coached true football before, and yet he seems undeterred by this minor stumbling block. We soon come to learn that Coach Lasso's sport-specific knowledge is not his greatest gift, but rather his commitment to the people with whom he works and coaches. Near the beginning of the series, we are introduced to the manager of the locker room, Nate. And while Nate frequently stumbles over his words and is constantly tripping to get out of the way of the players whom he idolizes, he is brimming with knowledge, both about football in general and the Richmond players in particular. Now, Nate becomes the target of the bullies on the team. And not only does the star player pick on the most undeserving character, he sets an example for and encourages other players to double down and join in the bullying. When the captain of the team gets wind of it, he takes the problem to Coach Lasso and asks him to put an end to the behavior that is infecting the team culture. So, you'll take care of it. No, Coach Lasso answers. The captain leaves the coach's office visibly upset and annoyed. The assistant turns to Coach Lasso. Why are you winding him up? Why don't you just help him out? Coach Lasso replies, he's the one. He's the one, coach. If we're going to make an impact here, the first domino to fall is right inside that man's heart. Coach knows that the actions of the captain must be the driving agent of change. What ensues over the remainder of the season is the transformation of the culture in the locker room, the relationships of the players, and finally, least important of all, their results on the field. The unimpressive coach from the Midwest has an impact on this completely ordinary group of players because he believes in each of them as humans. He gently and patiently works on the heart of the captain so that he might become the type of leader who is able to have a deep and meaningful impact. The makers of the show have been genuinely mystified as to why it has become so popular. Kindness, empathy, and vulnerability are not usually enough to to get the attention of the average American viewer. But Coach Lasso both exemplifies and models the most influential type of power, 
the power Jesus demonstrates, the power of a community of witnesses to change that which is before them because it is declared beloved. Not an empire, but a community of witnesses. Jesus demonstrates that kingdoms without traditional kings are the most powerful of them all. From Jesus' cloud of witnesses come the stories of healing, the stories of being fed, the stories of being filled with hope. From Jesus' cloud of witnesses, neighbors see before their very eyes the redemption and hope that comes with the truth of God's love. This is not an imposed truth or power that needs credentials or verifying. Rather, it is an experience that bears worth sharing because it is undeniably true. The kingship of Christ reveals the truth about power. And the truth about power is that love is the most important power there is. Love is the way in which the magnitude of God's power is made known to us. This is what makes Christ's kingdom kingship the most powerful of them all. Amen.